Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios. Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening, special topic Thursday, an evening that, as many of you know, is tailored to your questions. So basically, I take a look at the questions you send me, and I then discern uh, what questions I want to answer and when I want to answer them. I say when because often the questions I get are tied to something that is going on in either the church or the world today, right? And other times there are just questions that I see come up more than once, and when that happens, I am compelled to talk about that. And in saying that, this is what has happened this evening. So where does that leave us? Responding to the question, what is grace? And a kind of second question to that, or a question underneath that, what is meant by the term cheap grace, if we can use that phrase? Right? So you've asked the question, what is grace? And then what is meant by the term cheap grace? And because this is a question that I have not only received more than one time, but in two separate arenas, I certainly thought it would be good to respond to the question. If you are a faithful listener, you know well that I have dealt with this question of grace off and on throughout all of the various topics I have talked about, but I have not devoted one whole evening to it, okay? So I thought we would be well served to do so. Um, And One of the things I want to do this evening is just share with you a personal journey of my own that really led me into just not the deeper meaning of grace, but hopefully in response to your question, what is grace, what grace actually is, okay? So in doing so, I'm also going to draw from my own blog. I have reflected with this topic on grace, so I'm going to draw from my own uh, previous reflections Growing up, my favorite subject matter in grade school was the dinosaur age. I would often pass the time as a kid playing with my little dinosaur figurines. I don't know if you were anything like me, but I would have to come up with ways to pass the time as one of 11 kids, right? So I would often find myself playing with these little dinosaur figurines. Interestingly enough, growing up, we had a pond in our backyard with tadpoles, and I still remember to this day having these little battles with these inanimate dinosaurs and these live uh, tadpoles in a kind of uh, game of surrender, if you will, which of course the dinosaurs always won. So you can well imagine my excitement when as a junior in high school, I saw the trailer for a movie that would bring my one-time extinct (laughs) creatures that preoccupied my childhood, right, back to life. And of course, here I'm talking about Jurassic Park, right? After my initial excitement of seeing dinosaurs on the big screen waned, I had a lingering question in my mind. How would they bring the dinosaurs to life? I think that was probably a question a lot of us were asking, huh? And certainly we could say the 
movie wasted no time in answering that question. Mosquitoes bit dinosaurs, then flew and landed on sap trees. The tree sap encased the mosquitoes and the dinosaur blood within them. And ultimately, archaeologists would eventually find these fossilized mosquitoes to only then extract the dinosaur DNA, mix it with frog DNA to fill in the genetic gaps, and as the movie Jurassic Park put it, what do you have? Bingo, dino DNA, right? Now, after watching the movie Jurassic Park a handful of times, I found myself almost as fascinated with sap as I was with the dinosaurs themselves. I even recall going to a library and reading up on sap before research was so immediate to us, right, on the internet. I know I'm dating myself right now to talk about doing research in a library, but here we are, 2017. I have to make note that this was something I did before the internet. Now, later in college, the image of sap, again, grabbed my attention, but it wasn't because of my own doing. One of my Dominican professors at Franciscan University of Steubenville correlated sap with grace. And I still remember to this day what he said. The gifts we receive at baptism are like sap. Grace itself contains within it this idea of a sticky-like substance. Okay, there he was talking about the root to the word grace, uh, res, so that, that sticky-like substance. So in other words, what he was saying is that grace, unmerited, sticks to our soul. Uh, this Dominican professor of mine offered up for me a very palpable image to better understand grace. I left the classroom that day mindful of another truth as it relates to sap and grace. What do I mean? Sap contains within it what? But nutrients, water, and even hormones. Sap then, we could say, carries within it all of the life-giving properties and ultimately the identity of its source, in this case, of course, the tree. Could we not say even more so? Grace carries within its substance life-giving properties and the identity of its source, God's love. It is to say, my friends, the grace that envelops us in the life of the church is the very life-giving substance that is the love of God. In grace, we could say we receive God's spiritual DNA. That, my friends, is what grace is all about. Now, this life-giving substance protrudes from God and the life of the church in two particular forms, sanctifying grace and actual grace. In sanctifying grace, we receive a gift from God, which, as properly defined, makes us holy, uh, like God. We truly share in His very life. If you have been with me over the past five, six months in our exploration of 2 Corinthians, you know that I have touched upon this as St. Paul talks about it, that this sanctifying grace, that this grace that sets us apart, uh, the word sanctified comes from a Greek word hagiazo, that literally means to be set apart. So this grace that sets us apart, my friends, is an actual sharing in his very life. And this grace, sanctifying grace, is what we receive 
when and where, but at baptism. At baptism in the particular virtues of faith, hope, and love. These great theological and moral virtues of faith, hope, and love. Now, in actual grace, we receive a grace that helps us to become more like God in very specific circumstances in our life, okay? As all grace, it is a free and undeserved help that God gives us to to respond fully to His call, huh? In many ways, we could say that actual grace strengthens the aforementioned gifts of faith, hope, and love, right? That we might be more faithful in our vocation to, to breathe Christ in word and deed. So we have these two modes of grace, sanctifying grace, the grace we receive at baptism, and actual grace, the gift that God gives you in the present moment to do what, what we are called to do, right? This is actual grace, the actual moment. What more could be said here? Well, my dear friends, we are to draw <laughs> from the nutrients of grace in a life of constant prayer that we might bear its fruit, joy. One of my favorite truths that comes to us from the writings of Benedict XVI is his own series of reflections as they relate to the relationship between uh, grace and joy. Because the word for joy, kara, uh, is derived from the same Greek root that belongs to grace, charis. In other words, joy is the fragrance, we could say, of God's very substance. Interestingly enough, if you were to tease this out further, the word enthusiasm uh, coming from the Greek entheos, that literally translates, that bears a God within, is very much tied to grace and joy, right? Because enthusiastic joy is not some self-created happiness per se, but the sweet fragrance of God bursting forth. When Pope Francis titled his apostolic exhortation on the new evangelization, the joy of the gospel, he was very intentional there. Because as Benedict XVI reminds us, the first proclamation of the New Testament was what? But joy. What does the angel Gabriel say to Mary? Hail, full of grace. The Greek there is kekartomene. Kekartomene. That also is translated as rejoice, O highly favored one. Why do we get those two separate verses from one Greek word? Well, look at the root. What did I just say? Kara or charis. This can translate as both joy and grace. So you have either hail full of grace or rejoice, O highly favored one. I tend to lean towards hail full of grace because I think it captures more of that salutation, if you will. But nonetheless, the point here is that joy is the first proclamation of the New Testament. And this, I think, is very important to all of us. Because as we seek to better uh, fulfill our vocation to live according to the gospel, does not the gospel suggest at the very least here the importance of joy? I think it does, especially as it relates to how we are called to live in God's life and love. So we are to submerge ourselves in God's grace, like in sap, huh? allowing it to nourish us and give us life bring us joy, and affect all that we touch in our journey of faith. Recently, I was talking about the distinction to be made between 
affective charity and effective charity. Affective charity is essentially receiving God's affectionate love. Effective charity ultimately is the performative act out from being affected by God. That is to effectively love God in the world. And you have some of that going on here. In a life of grace, we are called to, again, submerge ourselves in God's life and love that we might in turn effectively share God's own life and love. Very important. Now, at baptism, the Holy Spirit is sent to us and at once heals our human nature wounded by sin, which of course gives us a share in the very life and love of God himself, a very sharing in the life of the Trinity, which, oh, by the way, my friends, I know some of us might struggle to hear a word that isn't in sacred scripture. My dear friends, Trinity is a word that is tied to a manifestation of sacred scripture, right? The manifestation that we see both in the baptism of Jesus and the transfiguration, okay? Uh, Three in one. We are not creating anything new. Essentially, what we are talking about is the very life of God as it is revealed in sacred scripture. Again, sanctifying grace actually transforms us into the very imago Dei image of God. So Jesus pours these virtues into our hearts, which makes conversion possible. One of the fruits of sanctifying grace is that we begin to confront our sin for what it is, a disobedient act and a breaking of our Father's heart. Sin is no more than simply breaking our Father's heart. You see, my friends, in baptism, we have now been given the grace, the sanctifying grace to cry, Abba, Father, and so we do. And in doing so, we take those initial steps towards deeper conversion. What do we read in Romans 8, verses 14 and following? That we did not receive the spirit of slavery in which we fall back into fear, no, but the spirit of adoption in which we cry, Abba, Father. Here, just by way of footnote, we should highlight that while hate is often perceived to be the opposite of love, in reality, as St. Paul highlights in Romans chapter 8, it is not hate that is the opposite of love, but fear. Fear. Hate is the outgrowth of fear. If we confront our fears, then we will be free of hate, right? And moreover, as St. Paul would remind us, free to cry, Abba, Father, free to cry that most intimate of terms, Abba, Father. So in sanctifying grace, we are always united to God. But what is important for us to understand here is that God always remains distinct. Now, what I want to briefly do is just whet your appetite to St. Thomas Aquinas. I know I rarely on the radio get into St. Thomas Aquinas. Off and on, I might speak to him as it relates to the existence of God, but I rarely get into him systematically. And well, that might be because sometimes philosophy and, and some of the 
more heady philosophy isn't always best for radio. <laughs> because when I start talking philosophically, I like to take a, a good look at the pupils of the eyes that I'm, I'm teaching <laughs> to, to see whether or not they're getting what I'm saying. But I do want to whet your appetite here because when it comes to grace, if I'm going to respond to your question properly, what is grace? I do think we need to, at the very least, try to grapple with what St. Thomas Aquinas does here. And as St. Thomas Aquinas explores, one must consider the manner in which sanctifying grace confers a participation in the nature of God. So St. Thomas Aquinas breaks down this participation in four modes or four principles. Physical, formal, analogous, and accidental. Okay, so physical, formal, analogous, and accidental. First, we should be reminded that only God is being by essence. We at best are being or become who we are called to be by participating in his essence, right? We are just not body, but body and soul. And if in our souls we are going to participate in God, then we have to participate in his essence. Recall what we just talked about as it relates to sap. Now, one can reason that since operation follows being, right? Being always precedes action. A supernatural operation that proceeds from the soul presupposes, we can say then, in the soul, the presence of a supernatural entity. And this can be nothing other than a physical and formal participation in the nature of God himself. As grace can only spring forth what reflects its giver, it can only do so in the physical realm, right? In the more formal realm. Now, when we use the word physical here, we must understand that we are talking about physical in its truest sense. Physical comes from a Greek word that best translates as natural or by the nature of something. So grace makes us in a certain way co-natural with God, without, of course, becoming God. <laughs> so something that has happened to the very substance of who we are that allows us to enter into relationship with God. So something, my friends, has actually happened to the very substance of who we are in our souls that allows us to enter into relationship with God. So by formal, then, we mean that the life of God is the animating principle to who we are, providing our soul with form. When the body loses its soul, it disintegrates and becomes lifeless, right? The soul animates our bodies with form, with, well, animation, <laughs> okay? Without grace, the soul is dead. With grace, the soul is life-giving. Okay, now, grace is not something that, of course, our nature produces, but what it welcomes as a gift from above. In this context, grace is, we could say, an analogous, so here's St. Thomas Aquinas, grace is an analogous participation with reference to the analogy of being. God is a higher being than we are, my friends. <laughs> the triune Godhead participates in being 
by their very nature. We are not the same as the uncreated Godhead. Our participation in God's life doesn't happen because we are of the same nature of God. And I think we need to be reminded of this from time to time. Instead, analogously, in the differences of nature, God has given us a freely given gift, the gift of his life, the gift that raises us up. This is all St. Paul, my friends. And again, if you've been journeying with me in our study of First and Second Corinthians, you know well what I'm talking about here, that we really participate in the uncreated life of God, but that we do so always as creatures. This means that grace is accidental rather than essential to the soul. It is essential in that we need it, sure, but it is not the essence of the soul. If there is a soul who is steeped in sin, he is still a human being. But that human is to seek grace because without it, the soul is vulnerable to evil and subject to death itself. So according to St. Thomas Aquinas, what is substantial in God is accidental in the saint. Okay, and again, by accidental, I'm not talking about, oh, I tripped and I accidentally dropped my cup. No, we talk about accident in the context of matter, right? Of matter, okay? So as it relates to this, we can probably put it another way. What God is by nature, (laughs) we are by gift. A gift, my friends, that allows us to enter into a very real relationship with God. Grace is about relationship, as relationship is about life. Grace is the very life of God. Now, as it pertains to the question of what does the phrase cheap grace intend to mean? Now, this is interesting because this grace, or rather, excuse me, this question came to me from two different places, just not from you, but also from a course that I'm teaching. Cheap grace is not a phrase that the church formally uses. I think it is spoken to more informally. And when it is spoken to informally, I think what people tend to mean is that all grace is unmerited. The grace we receive in baptism, sanctifying grace, right, is unmerited. We didn't do anything per se to acquire that grace. Gift free of charge, okay? But here's the thing, and why I don't subscribe to this phrase, if I'm going to speak plainly. No grace is cheap, because grace in of itself came at a cost. What do I mean? When we see something that costs a lot of money, what do we do? We treat it with great care, especially if it is a gift given to us, right? My dear friends, grace came at the highest cost, the highest cost, the crucifixion of our Lord. We would be well served in the spiritual life when we treat grace for what it is, an extraordinary gift, a gift that is not ordinary, but extraordinary. So we can talk about grace as cheap in so far as it speaks to what is unmerited, but I would be careful of doing that because we can lose that sense of the cost, okay? We can lose that sense of how grace was acquired in history. And again, of course, here I'm talking about the cross. So what is grace? Uh, What is 
the meaning of that phrase, cheap grace, there you have it. <laughs> we took about 25, 26 minutes to explore this, and, and hopefully this reflection was beneficial to you. I did think it was necessary to hit the pause button and just reflect with this because when we hear that phrase used, all is grace, and maybe we can just add a, a postscript question and answer, a question that I ask myself all the time, what does St. Augustine mean when he says all is grace? In the end, if grace is the very life and love of God, then all things, material and immaterial, <laughs> are tied to God's grace because they're tied to God himself. Even creation. Remember, creation is God's first love letter to man, a letter that was imbued with this deeper sense of truth, beauty, and goodness that reflects the life of God. It is when we lose this sense of creation itself being a love letter that we begin to lose this sense that, well, all is God's grace. Recently, I was in Lake Tahoe, a second trip in a matter of two months. I, I feel so blessed. <laughs> and there we were at Eagle Lake Falls, and I just found myself raptured in love with creation autonomous from God? No! Creation as a reflection of God's own truth, beauty, and goodness. I was encountering God's goodness, God's truth, God's beauty. My dear friends, God's grace. All right. With that, let us wrap up with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of your gift, right? The gift of grace, unmerited, always renewing, and always transforming. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.